Hello, welcome to podcast in space number 14. I am a listener. We got it right this time. Yeah, they were bad with numbers last time. The numbers were all wrong. My bad. Uh, I'm Alyssa Harris and, and I'm Lee Harris. And it is what's the date? It's the 24th of August in 2017. And I think we've said everything else we need to say. We have. That's it's, it. That's the end of the podcast. Oh, it's Marriage Equality Registration Day. Yeah. Last day for everyone to check your enrollments. There is no chance in hell this is going to go up before midnight, though. So consider this a, a useless exercise. reminder. Useful. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, what's new? First of all, um, we've been both working full time. Yeah. Since... Uh, Around the time of the last podcast, I think, for about the last month or two, um, I have also been full-time. So, Objects now has two full-time devs working on it, and uh, there's still a couple of part-timers as well, but two people full-time is new. It's exciting. Yeah. I'm getting to know my cats a lot better. <laughs> Their names are Start and Select, and they're really annoying. They're actually very counterproductive. I've actually been working from friends places or Alyssa's place just anywhere where the cats are not going to try and dominate my lap while I'm working you you said that like you didn't know their names before like, I've gotten to know my cats pretty well their names are start <laughs> and select I'm like oh you didn't know that before that's nice well the audience didn't know um but yeah this is big it's good it's a really important actually because we made a lot of decisions that made this game a lot bigger than we realized it was going to be so um, having was one of them open world space trading <laughs> game because I kind of feel like having that just as the basic concept should have given us a few hints as to the scope involved in the game. I mean, it didn't, but it should have. Yeah, the words open world are now the bane because there's a lot that needs to be playable and doable inside an open world. And I mean, I knew that, but I just figured if we didn't have a fully rendered external world, wasn't that half the problem? And no, no, no. It's still, it's still a, it's still large, a lot of work. large amount of stuff. But that's okay. Um, it's, um, getting, it's getting quite fun. It's actually like, mm. uh, it's reaching the point where it's being occasionally played for several hours at a stretch. Mm, that's true. My afternoon has been for about the last four hours just sitting down and playing the game. Uh, I started in the Parsis Union. And uh, so that's like this little sort of um, self-contained nation that it's kind of hard to get into or out of for people. It's supposed to be like a dictatorship. And I just thought, I'm going to play it completely straight, no debug functionality, and just see how I do. So later, when I was trying to repair what was left of my ship, um, I discovered that I did not have very much money uh, at all, and one of the main contract givers in Parsis was no longer on speaking terms with me, so my ability to get more money was somewhat hampered. So and swimmingly, swimming first outing. And I also liked that the game didn't crash throughout that entire time. So, like, given we're not even sort of full-featured yet, four hours of play without crashes is nice. Although I did notice there was a little bit of a memory leak because after playing for, like, whatever it was, four or five hours straight, instead of using the average 100 150 meg of memory that Objects tends to use because there's not much, you know, most of that memory is actually used for gameplay stuff. There's not much by way of textures or anything. Uh, this was using about 3.4 gig, so that was. I'm gonna have to fix that. I have to pull open the uh, the memory start to tools. Chug a little. Yeah, yeah. that probably that, that's a pretty exponential increase. Well, I mean, it's not exponential, but it's a, it's a big increase, and it is a small problem that I'll probably have to deal with sooner rather than later. 
Yeah, well, fortunately, you got the save game code up and running way, way early on in the piece. So, uh, yeah, if it ever does start to really have a heart attack because I've been playing it for too long, then the autosave happens every time you dock or undock. I can always pick up and continue. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, so, yeah, the game's now playable for several hours at a stretch. Although not... Uh, uh, not necessarily on PC, where we found that interacting with terminals causes a crash, which we think we've fixed now, but we do need to rebuild that. It's, um, yeah, a bit of an issue. But it's cool. The game is working on both platforms now, Mac and PC, so um, a lot of the hard work there handling the port is over. And we're just we're churning out features very, very quickly at the moment, which is good. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, yeah, we've got regular milestones we need to hit with our new relationship with 505. We have to deliver a playable build at the end of each month with uh, pre-agreed features and stuff like that. So we'll run over some of the ones that we've been working on. Um, but yeah, some cool new things are in there and I'm currently sort of struggling to keep up to add variances or instances where you can use the new features that are going in so quickly. So that's good. So, you know, on the one hand, thanks, Alyssa, that's cool. On the other hand, slow down, you're making me look bad. <laughs> yeah, well, adding in something and then implementing all the data to make it work is two different ballparks for the most part. I think it took me probably two full days to implement the, the most recent feature that I added, and it was abnormal in that I think it's only taken, like, a similar amount of time for Lee to throw in the data, whereas for trade contracts, how long have you been working on those for? Uh, about two weeks or so, and the first week of that was just calculating how I was going to calculate them, like trying to come up with numbers that made sense, like an algorithm for uh, for figuring out how uh, this stuff is given. Now, there was someone on the forums who was asking, because I, I posted just as a bit of a brain dump on the forums going, hey, here is all the calculations that go into deciding how much money a contract is worth. And um, they rightly kind of said, well, sure, but... Um, you know, how do I get, how do I know all this information and how useful is it to me? And I'm like, oh, well, it's not. I just thought if you're on the forum, maybe you're interested in hearing, you know, how our, how our dev process is going. But realistically, it is just spitting out one number for players at the end of it. Although there was a suggestion in there that um, a little note for contracts that just says like, plus danger or plus speed or something like that to indicate if it had to be done quickly or if it was likely to take you through dangerous territory and i, I don't i don't hate the idea it's, yeah, that uh, would be a pretty good way to handle it yeah anyway i'm um, considering that sort of stuff but anyway that was cool and a quick note on the forums um we totally were neglecting them in the first half of this year i think mainly because with um all the stuff going on with trying to get this arrangement sorted out with 505, um, we were in a place where we were under a lot of stress and the idea of trying to maintain answering fan questions and stuff was a little overwhelming for us. So, um, yeah, I made a big post on the forum letting people know that I was very much you know, back with a vengeance and there to answer any and all questions. And I don't think a single question has been asked on the forum that I haven't responded to within a day since sending that message a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, if you're a podcast person and used to come on the forums and don't anymore because we didn't answer your questions, please come back and we are totally <coughs> answering your questions now. Sorry. Um, what else? The Ac Acme exhibition yes. is open. Um, I gather that went well. I wasn't down there for the opening, but... 
Yeah, it was very nice. It was uh, cool seeing your name up in lights and everything. You know, a uh, big list of awesome uh, women developers in Australia, and the the room is like this big, uh, like one big rectangle, and the objects physical controller setup with the playable demo that we got is right at the back. So from the second you get to the front door, it's just a whole bunch of exhibits that sort of point your eyes in the direction of the big glowy ship. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been going fairly well from what we understand. Although we did just get a notification that uh, someone snapped off the PCE master alarm. Yeah. So if that was intentional, whoever it is, is a just a complete cockwomble. Cock but if it was, but if yes. but if it was just like some kid playing around, like you know, you you do your thing. That's all good. We'll just like fix it repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. But if this was a malicious adult, then you should know we have a very particular set of skills. Developing video games. Yeah, not really a threat to you in any way. Anyway, so uh, Jenny is on the case and is going to go out and purchase some new metal and bend that metal and paint that metal and glue that metal um much to her chagrin but yeah in any case it's going well other than that one thing excellent um all right that's news how about a bit of an update on where the game is at i feel like that's one of the reasons one of the main reasons probably that that people would would listen to this podcast i think so, I mean, we've been adding tons of features the last two months because we've got our sort of deadlines. And basically all we've done is sort of split up our work into ways, like into orders that make sense and then like pack the appropriate amount into each month, and, which is more or less what we were doing last time. It's just that it's a bit more formal. Uh, it's also, it's a bit different because this time we have, um, like, because I'm working with Lee, I have to take the things that I'm doing and sort of plan around okay so what's the next thing that's going to block you i'm going to, or that you're going to need to do before you unblock something for me etc which makes quite a difference but anyway so uh i suppose the biggest thing that i got working uh this month in terms of cool stuff is we have the enceladus class ship fully working uh it may get a small graphical detail pass at some point but it's basically done so have we I don't think we've actually told anyone, like, we haven't written down on the website what the different ships are that you can buy. So let's pretend that um, people know nothing and just take it from the top for a sec. So, I mean, excluding the tutorial ship, which is basically you get a little tiny shuttle that sort of has minimal features to teach you what's going on, um, like a utility shuttle. And then you got the Enceladus, which is the beat-up claptrap of a freighter that everybody knows. That's the one that's in all the screenshots and all the like gameplay demos people have seen, etc. That's called the um, Ceres. It's a light freighter. Yep, the Ceres class. Um, then you've got the next one, which we are in the process of modeling now, which is the Proxima, which is basically... So the Ceres is a light freighter. The Proxima is a medium freighter. And so it can carry a lot more, it's a bit more high-tech, etc., and it's hideously expensive. Uh, And then you got the one that we just finished, which is the Enceladus-class ship. And the Enceladus is not technically a freighter, even though it does carry about as much freight, in theory, as uh, a Ceres. Um, It's technically classified as a a light Corvette, Uh, but it's effectively a very expensive, fancy, uh, very stealthy ship. So it's, it's kind of like lightweight. It's um, it's very easy to turn this thing into something that can run very silently and nip about fairly quickly, 
Whereas, and the Proxima would be the opposite end of that um, of that spectrum, where it's big and it's heavy, and if you want to make it quiet, you've really picked the wrong type of ship. Yeah, so I, I suppose we kind of borrowed the the choice system out of um, Privateer because we figured out we figured how many ships we actually wanted to build, and figured the best way to split them up was have kind of that you start with a sort of a mid ground ship, and then yeah, you need to decide. Yeah. yeah, and then it's like, do you want something that's smaller and stealthier and faster, or something that is bigger and heavier and can carry more cargo? Although that that said, we also I don't know quite where we're going to land on this yet, but we have spoken about wanting um, wanting the player to have the choice if they really wanted to to very quickly get one of the more advanced ships, but to put themselves into a degree of debt to be able to do it, or perhaps to not be able to buy any bells and whistles. So like maybe you can buy the crappier ship but you can actually start with some defensive capabilities, countermeasures, maybe a grappling arm for retrieving cargo, that sort of thing. Or you could go for a fancier ship that literally can't do anything but move around when it's out there. So it's a bit of a sitting duck and you know, take your chances on getting some money quickly from some relatively safe contracts. Yeah, I mean, the idea, I think I mentioned this before, that I liked from the beginning and that we've kind of gone with, or just we haven't we haven't really figured out exactly how this is going to work yet, is much the same as the beginning of the old game Street Rod. So yeah, you start with like, in that game, you start with about 600 bucks um, and you then open up the um, newspaper and you can see like a whole bunch of secondhand cars. So you could get like a really tricked out 10-year-old shitbox for $600 or you could get like for maybe like barely enough money you could get a fairly new car that has like a crappy v6 engine and stuff like that Mm. so I kind of like the idea that that was one of the options you get is that you might get a handful of ships there um, and that if you don't quite have enough money you could go and get a loan out to do this but I mean you know I want to start with a Proxima but I'm suddenly you know 20,000 credits in debt to like Nikki the noose who's gonna like uh, <laughs> send ships after me if I don't make a you know payment of like a thousand credits every month or something yeah Street Road was a really big influence on the way that buying and selling um, ships and ship parts in particular was gonna work and the engineering section is kind of a homage to an old microprose game called Lightspeed or Hyperspeed I think was a they did it was, was that another country version no no they sort of released it like um, special edition they, there were three, like, clusters or basically scenarios that you could play. Mm. And um, for Hyperspeed, they released a, it had a fourth one, so I think they just kind of... Okay, so like uh, a Game of the Year edition bonus content thing. Yeah, that's what we'd call it now, I suppose. But yeah, so those two games combined very much uh, formed a big part of the inspiration for how engineering and purchasing of parts and stuff works. So we have the Enceladus. She is playable. You can fly around in her, and that's awesome. But what we don't actually have is a stand. A stand's used ships type place for you to buy stuff. Yeah, that's that's on my to-do list at some point fairly soon. I, th- I don't know. I can't remember if that's next month or not. I don't know. I have to... We'll look at the milestones. I, I've already hit my, my milestones for this month, actually, which is good. So I'm currently working through a few things that are minor and not on that list. Um, but, <clears throat> yeah, it's... it's you know what would be cool? Sorry sorry to cut you off, but you know what would be awesome just as a stopgap measure? Stan of Stan's used ships? Uh, kind of. You remember the guy in Monkey Island who uh, sells you the map, who's just like got them in his trench coat and is looking shady in the night? Anyway, just put an NPC that's on every single space station that just says, Hey, you, uh, you want to buy a ship? And if you just say yes and it subtracts $6,000, your ship magically becomes an Enceladus. <laughs> yeah, good to do that. Um... So what else? Um, 
the so, contracts. Yeah, yeah. So we, we added the advanced contract economy. So basically we had really simple contracts working for a demo we did ages ago. But we added a whole bunch of other things, including factions that give the contracts. So for instance... Um, on any given station, there'll be like three or four factions that might be companies or they might be governments that issue like uh, basic freight contracts and which contracts are available to you depend on your standing with them. So you usually have to do some shitty contracts first before they trust you enough to give you the really good ones. Yeah, so like your first couple of contracts, maybe you're getting a little somewhere between maybe 80 and 200 credits for taking a preset amount of cargo from here to here. And then as you unlock some better ones, you'll start getting ones where you're being told, okay, you actually have to physically pay for the cargo, so you need to have a decent amount of money in the bank already before you should take it on. Um, but in doing so, you'll get more money, and then there are some that have you know, time limits that makes them, make them prohibitively expensive. And the deal here is to try and give people reasons to try and think about what they want to do next. Um, so when you come across like a story mission where you might get like a, a message out of the blue going, hey, I need help urgently. Can someone come to um, you know, over to the two sisters and meet me near the following star or um, something along those lines? If you've got a contract and you know you're not going to be able to make it, then we've inserted some very severe punishments. So if you don't complete that contract, it's... You have just failed to deliver cargo. That company is not going to trust you again until you've built all the way back up to where you were. So it's it's really a genuine choice that you're going to have to make. And adding to that is um, we've just finished work on uh, procedurally generated passenger jobs. So again, we have like um, we have story things where you might be taking someone from A to B for one reason or another, and they were going in your hypothetical passenger cabin, and it occurred to us, well, if your ship if your in-world ship is supposed to have a passenger cabin, then it seems weird that you wouldn't take the opportunity to have, you know, just passengers that are not strictly narrative-heavy focuses, but just little ways to earn extra money. So what I've been doing when I've been playing the game this afternoon was to take a look at the contracts and go, okay, I'm here, and there's contracts going here, here, and here, and there's two passengers, and they're going here and here, and which of these are line, which ones are close, and trying to sort of plan out not just what my next stop is going to be, but what the stop after that is going to be, it makes it far more interesting trying to combine the two different procedural things to figure out what I'm going to do next. Like, where is my next thing going to take me? So, yeah, I'm finding it quite enjoyable, which is good. Quite enjoyable, says Dev of Own Game. Wait till you've been debugging it for about 70 years. That'll, that'll get frustrating. Yeah, you keep saying that. I don't think I'm going to find it frustrating. I'm too annoyingly chirpy. Um, so yes, another feature that we finished were space probes. So basically your weapon launcher, the, the in-universe excuse for having weapon systems is actually that they are repurposed science probe launchers. Um, so they're not built to carry, like the reason why they're not actually reloadable is that it's, it's the thing you use to carry a bunch of sensor devices and launch them at unknown planets. It's just that you've been uh, purchasing retrofitted probes that have explosives on the tip. So... Um, having the actual purpose of those things work was kind of important. It's useful for missions, and it's kind of cool. So basically, space probes, um, some missions will require that you, you deliver a space probe into orbit of this planet or something like that, which is kind of cool. However, the other thing that happens is this. When you fire a weapon or a space probe, there's like a microwave link that connects you and the thing you've just launched. And torpedoes use a LADAR system to try and pick up the target when they get close. 
whereas space probes have a standard sensor kit, kind of like your ship. And so the advantage of that being that if you fire a space probe, even if you have no intention of launching into a planet or whatever, what you're actually uh, then able to do is that you've got a, a space probe going out there and sensing things and then sending the data back to you. So you're basically able to sort of launch a long distance sensor array to increase the range that you can pick things up. So if you're trying to find a, uh, like one of the tactical decisions you can make is that if you were trying to find a pirate or something like that in a specific scenario or in a mission or whatever, um, you could opt to, as lo- along with your torpedoes, take one space probe, fire that in one direction, you yourself go in another direction, and you might be able to pick up uh, the enemy through your space probe. And they can give you a tactical advantage. So yeah, it's um, it's good because it kind of it doesn't give away your position necessarily, but it does tell you. Like people can take a look at the space probe and go, okay, clearly at some point recently, the person who fired this was in the opposite direction the space probe is traveling. Um, we don't have we don't actually simulate you know gravity from planets in the game or anything like that. So. Um, it it is kind of a giveaway as to where you once were, but the potential benefits of it sending you data going, oi, big pirate ship right here, hidden in a nebula, can be invaluable. So uh, we're aiming for the science probes to be uh, a lot cheaper. And if you're actually buying like an explosive warhead, we want them to be quite expensive because uh, the incentive needs to be fairly strong before you actually shoot something at somebody with an intent to harm them. Um, it's it's working out quite well so far. We're yet to put the science probes through their paces, though. We haven't started testing that in earnest yet. Yeah, like I mean, I've tested that they work, but we haven't done like tests to see how they act, like how useful they are in combat. That's like the whole balancing test thing. And but then there's, they also just return data if you fire them at uh, you know at a planet or a moon. What's interesting is that. Um, we th- there was a lot of time that went into making sure the logic was working in all of the stories that we've implemented so far. So, yes, you'll get an email saying, uh, like a message from someone saying, "Hey, thanks for doing that thing for me," or you'll get a conversation, "We'll fire here," or that sort of thing. Um, but uh, that took a lot of time to implement. Like I had to box out a good month or so just for implementing those things once you'd finished coding them. But with the with the science probes. Once they were up and running, I had a go at putting one of these into a story, and because all of the other logic is there, it was a simple, like, it took me two minutes, and I'm like, okay, cool, that mechanic is in that story. So as soon as this stuff is tested, there's like five stories that are going to go from waiting for mechanic to bing, working. So that's awesome. Um, I think that's kind of it. So we've we've got the Enceladus up and running. You can't buy it in-game yet, but you can fly around in it, which is cool. The advanced contract economy with factions and reputation for each faction. The procedural passenger jobs, which is fun, and space probes. And I can't even remember what I'm supposed to be doing next month. Yeah, I don't know either. I know that for at least the next week, I'm still going to be putting more and more contracts in for different companies. I think that's one of those things where uh, when it's done is like, how long is a piece of string? Yeah. And I'm going to need to... I still want to change the way slots work in engineering too because we sort of decided to tweak that a bit. But that's not really on any of my to-do lists, so I might actually get some time to do it before the end of the month. But I also don't want to do that and then break everything right before we need to be uh, sending a build over. It's kind of cool having the milestones because we can go, okay, have we finished everything we needed to for this month a week early? Yes. Good. The next week we can work on something that's been bugging us for a while, but it's not an explicit feature that's needed. Yeah, which mostly, like, I mean, because any bugs that prohibit our ability to play specific builds or hit a milestone, 
tend to get fixed. But you can get bugs where it's like, well, this isn't a showstopper. So a lot of the time, if I have a bit of a few days like this, I will probably spend that time going through the bug list and just fixing all a lot of the little low and medium priority ones that have just been a complete pain in the ass, but not enough to fix. So that's where we're at. That's what's been going on with objects in space for the last little while. So I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you very much all for listening. And um, do jump onto the forums and ask questions if you want any more clarification on how stuff works. And um, yeah, we will see you all next time. All right. See you. Bye.